Good morning to all of you here and not physically here. Uh, tomorrow is Merdeka, and I was very tempted to do that, you know, that Merdeka, Merdeka thing. But uh, no umfla without a, a packed stadium. So, uh, yeah, a, a very happy Merdeka for tomorrow, this, this, uh, this weekend. This Sunday, we are celebrating Merdeka in our church a bit early. And so today's message will be a bit relevant for that. Okay, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that we can hear your word. We want to thank you that we can worship you. And so, Lord, we pray that the listening to your word and my preaching of it, Lord, that these two things would also be worship unto you. May we be open to your transforming work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, how many of you have come across today's passage uh, more than once a year? That story from Luke chapter 1, more than once a year. Okay, a few hands. Uh, I think for the majority of us, for, for most of us, this particular story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her she's going to be with child and all that, uh, at least for me, when I hear these words, immediately what comes to my mind is a Christmas play. <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is the nativity scene and uh, you know, some, some kid dressed up as the angel, some kid dressed up as Mary and they're trying to uh, they're trying to uh, reenact that story. And so it just feels a bit strange to hear this passage read in August because we're nowhere near Christmas when it's usually read. But for those of us who are following this year's uh, Bible reading plan, we would have come across this passage. And that's good. It's good that we come across this passage out of season in that sense. Because examining and applying certain portions of God's word should not be... Sorry, yeah, one second. Okay. Apologies. Can you hear me? Check. Okay, you can hear? You can see? Okay, great. Apologies for that. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So we are reading this passage out of season in that sense and um, it's, it's good to, to come across this passage because even when we are uh, out of season, uh, examining and applying certain portions of God's Word is still relevant for us. And by the way, Christmas did not exist when Luke's Gospel was written, Okay. And uh, if you don't know, celebrating the birth of Jesus only happened uh, 300 years after Jesus died. Okay? Before that, uh, the, the birth of Jesus wasn't really something that was celebrated or even acknowledged uh, or, or, or yeah, celebrated as, as a holiday. And so it was during Constantine's time, during the, the first Christian Roman emperor's time, that Christmas came about. And so nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas, but that's not the point of today's passage. And so just forget about the nativity scene for now, forget about the angels, forget about the, the, the shepherds and the, 
wise men, forget about Joseph and Mary, and all those Christmas things, Christmas trees, carols, presents. Today, we are looking at a scripture that is recording a revelation of a miracle that will happen to an ordinary girl. Something impossible that will happen to an ordinary girl. And the big idea I hope to draw out for us today is that we hope in our God who can achieve the impossible. Okay? We hope in our God who can achieve the impossible. Now let's look at this impossible. What does it mean for something to be impossible? It's, it's not a trick question. <laughs> it simply means not possible. Okay? Uh, and so coming to today's passage, is a virgin birth possible or impossible? Is it possible to conceive a child without having sexual relations? Well, if you want to be technical, it is possible for some species of animals who can reproduce asexually. Okay, so some species of sharks, uh, lizards, bees, plants, okay, they, they, they go through this process known as parthenogenesis, which basically means that they you know, they're able to, to create life on their own, okay? For humans, it is probably possible to give birth without sexual contact today through modern assistive reproduction technology, okay? Without having sexual relations, you have the, the fertilized egg uh, implanted in you or whatever, uh, possible, technically. But ordinarily, okay, ordinarily, a virgin birth is naturally impossible. Definitely during Mary's time, uh, back in Luke chapter 1, whatever is recorded there, all this did not exist. Okay, so naturally impossible. There's absolutely nothing that Mary or anyone else could have done to make it possible. Mary was an ordinary human girl. Okay, she, she would not have been capable of this on her own. But as we can see from today's passage, even for this ordinary girl, a virgin birth was made possible. And what that shows us is that with God, impossible is a matter of perspective. Okay? Because nothing is impossible for God. One of the core attributes of God is His omnipotence, His absolute, infinite power, His control over everything in existence. There is nothing that he cannot do. Now, the Bible is very clear about this. And if I took you through you know, the passages, uh, verses, one by one, about everything that talks about God's limitless power, we will be here until Madeka, okay? We'll be here all day. And so, when God acts to do what is normally impossible, outside of the natural expected order of his creation, that is known as a miracle. Okay, so when God does something that is outside of what usually happens it, as how God has created creation, uh, that is known as a miracle. So from God's perspective, there is nothing that is impossible. But here's the thing. For God, nothing is impossible. For man, well, many things are impossible, correct or not? Many, many things are not possible for us. That is a fact. Man is limited by space, 
time, gravity, intellect, genetics, natural aptitude, all sorts of things. We are very limited beings. A lot of things are just simply not possible for us. And so when all those self-help books and, and motivational speakers tell you things like, impossible is not a fact, it is just an opinion, you know, things like that, what they're trying to do is to motivate you to break past your own self-imposed limits. Okay, that, you know, actually it's possible for you, but you yourself say it's not possible, okay, that kind of thing. But no amount of motivation is going to make you to be able to fly into the sky without any technology. Okay, no amount of motivation and self-belief is going to uh, make me, give me like a, a six-pack, like in five minutes' time by doing some app crunches on the floor. Not going to happen. Not possible. We are mortal. And the simple fact that we are not God. Okay? We are not God. And so from a purely human perspective, many things are impossible. Now here's where things get different for mortals who follow Jesus Christ. Because nothing is impossible for men when they have a kingdom worldview. Now, what does that mean? I think I've mentioned before about how living in God's kingdom means we are in a state of already but not yet. Now, God's kingdom is his sphere of influence, okay? It's where he reigns as king, where he is acknowledged as ruler. And so those of us who follow Jesus live in God's kingdom, okay? Under his kingship. But his kingdom has not arrived in its fullness because of the presence of sin. Uh, everyone who chooses not to follow God, to, uh, not to allow God to rule in their hearts. All those who choose to rebel against God. He is not uh, king for them because they reject him. Okay, and so for those of us who submit to God as king, for those of us who submit to God as king, nothing can be ruled out as impossible. Nothing can be ruled out as impossible if we submit to God as king because we live in a realm where God is always at work. We live in a realm where you know, we've already established that for God, nothing is impossible. And so we live in this realm that acknowledges and interacts and worships this God for, which, for, for whom nothing is impossible. And so I'll be careful to emphasize here that God is the one doing the impossible, not man. Okay, so when I say that we live in God's kingdom, nothing is impossible for God. It's still not impossible for God. Uh, man is not the one who is doing these impossible things. God may perform a miracle through somebody, but He alone is responsible. Without God, that miracle that he, he, he performs through this person, without God, that person cannot perform that miracle. Okay? So, so far, we're only talking about God's ability to do the impossible. That's just one half of the equation, his ability, his omnipotence. The second half of this equation is the question of God's will. That just because God can doesn't mean that he will. Just because God can do all things doesn't mean that he will do all things. And so what is impossible is really a matter of God's will. 
Does God actually want to carry out what is normally impossible? Miracles are possible. Does God actually want to do all these miracles? There are many churches and ministries that teach that if you have enough faith, nothing is impossible. And so this teaching comes in different packages. Uh, Name it and claim it theology, word of faith theology, uh, prosperity gospel, and so it's this idea that, if, that, that something is only impossible if you don't have enough faith. And so whether it's a promotion or it's a relationship or healing, if you have enough faith, it should be possible. And so I've heard about people whose lives have been destroyed by such teachings when they are taught to believe that seeking medical attention is an indication of a lack of faith. And something easily treatable goes untreated because of their insistence that God would heal them miraculously. And He didn't. It didn't happen. And so the Bible does seem to draw a correlation between faith and miracles in many passages, especially in accounts of God's healing, uh, Jesus' healing. And so if this is present in the Bible, what's wrong with this teaching? Well, the problem is that the second half of the equation is missing. The second half of the equation of God's will With God, all things are possible, yes, but He determines what is possible, not us. Just because God made it possible for Mary to have a virgin birth doesn't mean that if I had enough faith, I could have one too, okay? Unless, for whatever reason, God wants me to suddenly give birth. Uh, Not going to happen unless God willed it. Now, I honestly can't remember if I read this in a book somewhere, Uh, But I like to think of God's will being made up of three intersecting circles. And the first is God's design. Okay, what does God want to happen? How does He want it to happen? The second is God's purpose. Why does God want that thing to happen? What does it accomplish? And the third is God's timing. When does God want that thing to happen? And over what duration? And so that, you know, you intersect all those three components and you get God's will. Uh, This is not my trademark. I probably read it somewhere. I just cannot remember for the life of me where I read it. Okay, so coming back to today's passage, Mary received the message of God's will from the angel Gabriel. And this revelation in itself is normally an impossible event. You know, angels normally don't pop up and start talking to us. And this is reinforced by another impossibility revealed in verse 36, where Gabriel tells Mary, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Okay, so it's more evidence of the impossible happening. And this is confirmed by Elizabeth herself in verse 39 onwards. Elizabeth isn't just pregnant, she prophesies after being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, this is all a precursor to the virgin birth. It had not happened yet. There was still about nine months to go. And unmistakable signs of pregnancy would take at least you know, a couple more weeks. And so that left Mary with a 
quite a large runway until God's promise of the impossible would be fulfilled. Quite a bit of waiting time. And the space between the promise made and when the promise is fulfilled needed to be filled with something, and that something is hope. I think we can agree that it is absolute foolishness to hope in the impossible. If you know for certain something impossible is not God's will, either because it contradicts His word directly or you know, it's a clear revelation from God, He does not want to do this, and you hope in that impossible thing, that's just futile, right? It's just foolish. If there is zero indication of God's will for you to be able to Teleport, for example. Okay, for those who don't follow science fiction, teleportation is being able to disappear and reappear instantly somewhere else, okay, without actually moving there. Okay, so if, you, if there's zero indication of God's will for you to be able to teleport, it is absolute foolishness to hope that one day you'll be able to skip traffic jams by teleporting to your office, okay, without using technology if they invent that somehow. And so it's foolishness to hope in the impossible. But if you hope in the impossible when God is involved, that is an act of faith. Not faith in your ability to perform miracles, not faith in the power of other people, but faith in God alone. He alone is the one who makes the impossible very possible. Now there are many examples in the Bible about people who received God's promises. They knew his will, uh, that he wanted to do what would have been impossible without him. For example, Sarah was told that you know, a year after that revelation, she would have a child at about 90 years old. It would have been naturally impossible for someone her age. But it happened a year later. But when the re- revelation was first revealed to her, her reaction was not faith, it was to laugh at it. Okay? That was an indication of her lack of faith. And so until that promise of the impossible is fulfilled, it takes faith to continue hoping in God to fulfill that promise. Now, verse 45 also tells us that hoping in God is a blessing. Mary's hope in God was a blessing for Mary, not just because Elizabeth declared it, you know, when she was filled with the Holy Spirit, you are blessed, uh, but also because Mary herself felt and knew that she was blessed. If you look at the song that she sings from verses 46 to 55, I think it's commonly known as... sings about how she's full of joy. She praises God as she waits in His hope. For his promise to be fulfilled. She is blessed. She acknowledges and she knows that she is blessed. Now, on the other hand, look at the Israelites who clearly did not hope in the Lord's promise to deliver them into the promised land as they you know, wandered around in the wilderness. They didn't. Uh, God gave them that promise. Before the time when the promise was fulfilled, they weren't hoping in that promise. Instead, they were Uh, Their days were filled with bitterness, uh, complaining, grumbling, lots of doubting, and eventually a whole generation died out. Okay, that's certainly not a blessing. So, it makes sense, right, to hope in God's promises 
rather than to doubt His promises. Now let me give you another reason why we should hope in God's promises. God's track record is as old as the universe. We are surrounded by many, many, many things that should not be possible normally. William Lane Craig, a Christian apologist, he said this. He says, Scientifically speaking, it is far more probable for a life-prohibiting universe to exist than a life-sustaining one. Life is balanced on a razor's edge. So what he's saying that if you, you know, if you, you really go by purely the Big Bang theory and everything else that all life originates from nothing out of chance and just somehow uh, chance brought things together to bring about life, he's saying that chance says that it's more, far more likely that life would not exist. Chance would say that it's it's far more likely that our universe prohibits life rather than sustains it. And he goes on about things like the universe's rate of expansion, uh, the Earth's strength of gravity, many sciencey things, and how if these things were off by even the tiniest amount, the universe collapses. Life cannot be supported, and so on. And so simply put, Life and creation as we know it would not be possible without God, not just in creating it, but also in sustaining it. So the mere fact that we live and breathe today, the mere fact that we're able to be human beings is part of God's proven track record. And then you have God's track record in how he interacted with the people of Israel. It's recorded in scripture for us. He fulfilled many, many prophecies. And up to today, there are countless testimonies of how God continues to fulfill promises that are simply impossible without Him. And so with that kind of track record that God has, as old as the universe, does, doesn't it not make sense to... Sorry, doesn't it make sense to hope in God rather than to doubt Him? Doesn't it make sense to hope in the God of the impossible rather than to doubt Him? And so this brings me to this question. What has God revealed to you, whether through His Word or through His church or some other manner, what has He revealed to you about His will? Are there some of His promises that seem impossible for you today? Are there some of the things that he has revealed to you that seems impossible to you today? Perhaps the promise that he would provide for your needs? Maybe the promise of no longer being a slave to sin? Being able to say no and resist temptation? Or maybe the promise of victory over the devil and evil spirits? Or the promise that living his very counter-cultural way is really the best way to live? Do, these, do some of these things maybe feel impossible to you today? Well, if these things seem impossible, provided you know it's his will to carry them out according to his design, his purpose, and his timing, I challenge you to hope 
in it, even if you can't see it. Romans chapter 8, verses 24-25, Paul writes, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so Paul is talking about the future glory that all believers are promised in the midst of present sufferings. Okay, that's the context of that passage. And so we are to wait patiently for it even if we can't see it. Even if all we can see are our present sufferings, we are to hope for our future glory. Part of hoping is having a readiness to act. When you hope in something, you have a readiness to act on it or to prepare for it. For example, if there is a drought in Penang, lately super hot, uh, Chinese New Year, super hot. If you are a farmer in Penang, for some reason, uh, and you're hoping for rain, you don't wait for the rain to start. You don't wait for, you know, oh, clouds super dark. Oh, can see got drops. Ah, now, 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 now's the time to go and plant my seeds. No lah, too late, right? You begin planting and you hope for the rain to come and water your crops. You don't wait until you see it. And so just like how hoping in God is an act of faith, everything that you do to prepare as you wait patiently for His promises to be fulfilled is also an act of faith. We know in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph, who, who was engaged to Mary, he had to act in faith as well while waiting for God's promise of the virgin birth to come true. You know, uh, the, he, he was told that he, he wanted to divorce Mary quietly, right, initially, uh, but then he was told, don't. You know, the, God appeared to him, said, don't take Mary home as your wife. And so he had to take that step of faith to uh, act on this preparation for the impossible. He took Mary home as his wife in the months leading up to the birth of Jesus. His hope in God's promises included the readiness to act upon it. And so hope in God is not just a feeling. It can also involve tangible action. We'll wait a bit because I think online is uh, off feet right now. Okay? Live? Alright. Uh, in case there was anything missed out, just very quickly, I was talking about Joseph. He had to prepare okay, by taking Mary home and his, as his wife uh, in the months leading up to before Jesus was born. Okay, so in that preparation, he had an act of faith. So, in conclusion, let me end with this, that tomorrow is National Day. And many of us are, I mean, speaking very honestly, many of us are disappointed with many things in this nation. And that has been a very common sentiment for very long already, at least from what I can remember. Uh, brain drain and migration rates from Malaysia to other countries, for those who can afford it, uh, these things have just been going up and up and up and up. 
at least until the pandemic, lah, then no choice already, right? Uh, but part of that, part of this brain drain of going to other countries to work, settle down, uh, and then hopefully earn enough money so that you can bring your parents over and flee from Malaysia, part of that is because we feel that some things are just impossible in Malaysia. There may be this sentiment, rightly or wrongly, that some things are just impossible in Malaysia. But what I want you to remember today, church, is that no nation's border, no nation's policy, no nation's law can contain the God of this universe. Nation. And so we've already established with God, nothing is impossible. And so for all the things that are consistent with his character, all the things that we know that he desires for Malaysia, we know that those things are not impossible. They may not be uh, within his... Uh, okay, we may not yet know how these things will come about within his purpose, his design, his timing, but they are definitely not outside the realm of possibility. And so we don't hope in politicians, we don't hope in political parties, we don't hope in even democratic systems, we don't hope in our ideas of what an ideal Malaysia would look like, we hope in God alone. We let Him deal with the impossible. And so, friends, may you know, know that nothing is impossible for our God. Impossible is just a matter of His will, what He wants, when He wants it, how He wants it, what He wants it for. Be ready to respond to whatever God has revealed to you. Many promises are made clear in Scripture, and if we walk closely with Him daily, we come to know His will even more clearly. And do keep hoping according to God's will. Keep hoping according to God's will. Even if you don't see His promises clearly revealed, wait patiently for Him. His word will never fail. Keep hoping according to His will. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We come to a time of reflection, reflection and discussion questions. And so we want to encourage you to ponder upon these things. The first question, what are some impossible things that you have witnessed God do in, through, or around you? What are some impossible things that you have witnessed God do in, through, or around you? The second question, what is something that you know is God's will, whether through the Word, the church, and so on? Something that you know that is God's will that seems impossible to you. And thirdly, what is one way that you can be ready to respond to what God has revealed as His will? How can you be ready to respond in hope? I leave these questions with you to ponder and discuss.